today, as Pastor Daniel has, has already kind of introduced it, we are launching into our next Bible engagement series covering the Apostle Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, two of his workers, two of Paul's workers. And these three letters are called the pastoral epistles because of the tone that Paul writes in. It's important to actually note that Timothy and Titus were not actually pastors as we would understand pastors to be today, but direct representatives of Paul himself, as well as two of his closest friends and disciples. So today we'll be looking at who Timothy was and what we can learn from the way he carried out his calling and his faith. And my hope is that by the end of today, you'll come away with a clear picture of why Timothy and the letters that Paul wrote to him are so important for us to know. So why don't you stand with me this morning as we read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5 together. Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. You may be seated. See, I'm nice. I only give you five verses to read out loud. <laughs> Uh, the passage that we just read together today uh, comes to us during Paul's second missionary journey. And Paul had actually already been to Lystra before. Paul and Barnabas fled to Lystra from Iconium because there was a plot to kill them there. Seems fair. And although their time in Lystra started out okay, things got weird. They actually got kind of weird. And then downright awful. And you can actually read this entire story in Acts chapter 14. But there's a very good chance that Timothy and his family were some of the converts during Paul's first visit. Which meant Timothy, from an early age, got a snapshot of what Paul's life was like. You know, being pummeled by rocks to the point of unconsciousness. Angry crowds. And Paul's message sharing of many hardships. And Paul reflects on his time in Lystra in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 11. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And yet in spite of all of this, all of this that Timothy would have witnessed over the two to three years between Paul's first and second missionary journeys. Timothy's faith and passion flourished. So, who exactly was Timothy then? Timothy was a product of family discipleship. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul writes this, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy saw sincere trust 
modeled, sincere trust in God, modeled by his grandmother, Lois. And then in turn, Lois then imparted that faith to Eunice, her daughter. And then Eunice then passed on that faith to her son, Timothy. And over just a few years of this at-home family discipleship model, whatever that looked like for them, it directly translated to Timothy then winning the admiration of the Christians in the home church that they were at and the larger city of Iconium nearby. Parents, make no mistake that what you believe will actually directly shape how your child lives. And the consistency of your spiritual life in your home directly correlates to the consistency of your child's faith. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And I actually believe that that is truth. Because while this doesn't ensure that they're going to choose everything that they absolutely want, <laughs> that you absolutely want them to choose, it does mean that they cannot deny what you believe and why you believe it. And the truths that you actually instill in them and hold onto yourself will actually remain in their heart. And I truly believe that. As a youth pastor, I see it time and time again. And I understand that even as I say that, you, for one or two or for many of you, many of you online or many of you in here maybe, I understand that some of you are sitting in the middle in the middle of a moment where your child seems very far from the faith that you have. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you for a moment to keep praying, to keep holding on to the assurance that God is still at work in their life. See, it might not seem like it, it might not feel like it, but God hears your prayers. God knows your child and cares about them deeply. And while none of us want to see our loved ones suffer or our loved ones be in pain because of painful choices that they might have made or that have been inflicted on them by others, God can and does work mightily through the pain. And, God, and, and sometimes it just takes pain to prompt us to turn to Jesus. Sometimes it takes a broken heart for us to finally let Jesus in. And so I just encourage you, keep praying. Keep praying for your, your children. Keep praying and keep modeling the faith that you have. Keep being consistent in it because it's so important. And while the home is the primary spiritual center for a young person, it's not actually the only spiritual voice that they need in their life. They actually need more than just their parents' voice of faith for them to, to make it. Young people also need relationships with adults other than their parents, if they're going to grow into followers of Jesus. To put it another way, young people like Timothy also need a Paul in their life. See, Timothy was a protege of Paul as well. Paul saw something in Timothy when he returned to Lystra. Something about Timothy's life had changed when Paul returned. And interestingly, there's no actual reference to who Timothy's father, biological father actually was. The only thing that we know for sure is that his father was a Greek. And without getting too technical, this most likely meant that Eunice, Tim's mom, was a widow. And if she was a widow, then that would make Timothy a blended ethnic kid from a single parent home. 
And it would explain the relationship that they had between Lois and Eunice and Timothy. It would explain why there's no patriarchal legacy mentioned for somebody uh, as famous as Timothy would have been. It could also be why Timothy and Paul had such a bond. They're probably being a late teenager at the time, 17, 18 years old. Timothy formed a bond with Paul when he returned to, to, to Lystra. And this bond was formed for the rest of their life. This father-son-like bond grew to the point of Paul actually addressing him as his beloved son in 2 Timothy 1-2. See, for 20 to 30-ish years, Timothy was mentored by Paul as they ministered to all of these churches that we read about in Acts and as we read through the letters that Paul wrote and others wrote. Timothy was learning Timothy learned from Paul, and he listened to the stories of Jesus from Paul. He would have met other apostles along the way. He, would have, he probably would have had to sell some tents for Paul as well. Timothy worked with Paul. Timothy actually co-authored uh, some of Paul's letters, even. First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philemon, Philippians. Timothy had a hand at actually crafting some of these letters. Timothy was also empowered and entrusted by Paul leaving Timothy and some other companions to train up and appoint leaders in the places that Paul had preached. And so, you know, Paul would uh, go into a city, would preach, then he would move on from that city, leaving Timothy there for Timothy to then establish the leadership in the church, to train, to, to mentor, to guide, to make sure that when Paul left and when he left, that the church wasn't just going to implode on itself. Church, let me tell you, there is a deep need for spiritual mothers and fathers to come alongside our next generation of leaders. There is a deep need. There is a huge need for this. According to one study done by LifeWay Research about 10 years ago now, teens who had at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their lives personally and spiritually were also most more likely to become spiritual a spiritually mature Christian adult. Church, all it takes is one person, one voice, one person that sees what God sees in the life of a young person or a young leader that maybe they don't see themselves and to call it out of them. To take them along for an adventure and speak life and hope, to invite them into their life, to offer them encouragement and support in the midst of discouragement and doubt. And there's a lot of that right now in our world for our young people, just really for any of us, but especially for our young people who are, are still forming their worldview. See, Timothy was in a place of discouragement when we meet him uh, as these letters are being sent to him, I should say. Timothy was in a place of discouragement. Timothy was stationed in Ephesus. And this city and church they were not easy or encouraging places to lead. Instead of being a church of love and hope, the church of Ephesus at, at this point of, of time was becoming a church that argued opinion and wrangled for control. You can read through the letters and you can see what Paul is trying to address and telling Timothy to address, and, and it, it leaps off the page. These people were arguing opinions. They were wrangling for control. It was adopting the attitudes of the pagan world around them instead of transforming them with the love of Jesus. 
First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 says, They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about <laughs> or what they so confidently affirm. Thank goodness that Paul is honest. Amen? They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> and what they so confidently affirm. See, whoever these teachers were, it was clear that Paul, it was clear to Paul that they were more interested in their position than their doctrine. They were more interested in whether they could win the argument than what they were even arguing about. And as a result, these teachers of the law, as a result, people in the church had actually begun trying to take advantage of certain systems to angle for their own higher position. So whether that was to do with how you dressed or what you ate or how you acted or who your family name was or how much money you contributed, you put in the offering plate, where, where you sat in the church meeting, or even which pastor blessed you how. Because we all know that, the lead pastor, that if, you, if the lead pastor prays for you, you get a little bit closer to Jesus, but if the youth pastor prays for you, all you do is get recruited to youth ministry, Right? That is not how that works. Timothy's assignment was to help this church relearn what church was supposed to be and to reconcile with one another. And church, those are not easy things to do. Those are very difficult things. And so Timothy is sitting there discouraged or feeling discouraged or he's just feeling maybe deflated. And Paul is recognizing this as his mentor and Paul says, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, one of the main motivations for Paul to send his letters to Timothy was to affirm Timothy in his role and encourage him in his calling and also to encourage the other believers to not be discouraged. As see, Paul actually encouraged Timothy uh, like so many times in these letters, but here's just a few. Here's what Paul encouraged Timothy with. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Guard what was entrusted to you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and in out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And I don't know about you, but if I had that list, like if I, had, if I woke up in the morning and somebody was texting me that list every day, I would probably figure it out pretty quick that I actually have something to offer. And when we feel discouraged or we feel deflated and defeated, we need spirit-led voices in our life to remind us of the biblical truth. See, sometimes when you... Th when you're in the thick of it, when you're in the thick of an argument, it's hard to know whether you are still right. Have you ever gotten halfway through an argument and you're like, what are we even arguing about anymore? I thought we were arguing about this, now we're arguing about this. How, how do we even get here? And it can be very disorienting. Sometimes we even want consider or wonder, is this even a mountain worth dying on? And when it comes to the things of scripture, it can be even more disorienting. And it's in those moments that we need faith-filled voices to help us stay oriented, to encourage us, to speak life and truth into us, just like Paul did for Timothy. 
See, Paul's words to Timothy over and over in these letters are pointed and clear and supportive. They remind us of what a true mentor and leader in our life should be. Someone who isn't afraid to correct because it comes from a genuine place of concern. Someone who knows what to say and when to say it because their heart is aligned with Christ and someone who prepares us for the coming season without them. So the fourth thing today is that Timothy was also being prepared for a new season when we read these letters. So the second letter to Timothy carries with it a much more somber tone. And part of this is because this is Paul's last letter, to t- probably Paul's last letter to Timothy. And Paul knows that he doesn't have much time left. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, says, he says this. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, there comes a time when the mentorship relationship must come to an end. But sometimes in this void of of, of, of us, of the mentorship coming to an end, Sometimes in this void, we can start wondering if we're good enough, if we know enough, if it's been long enough. And during this time, we can sometimes mistake our feeling of insecurity as inexperience. Sometimes we, can, we think we're actually inexperienced when actually all it is is our insecurity talking to us. And instead of stepping out in faith, or instead of, instead of uh, pouring out into somebody else, we convince ourselves that we just need to keep learning. We just need another mentor in our life. If we only knew a little bit more, or if we only talked about things a little bit longer, or we keep finding mentors, or we keep receiving from people without ever giving anything back. And while this instinct of continual learning is actually a very good instinct, sometimes with the insecurity blended into it, the paralysis we can actually experience is not. See, just as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, we need to remember that for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, God's got us. And in the void of not having a mentor or in the void of the next season, we have to remember that God has us. He's got our back. He knows where we're going. He's leading us forward. And these letters are not only to help Timothy and the churches grieve, but to entrust them with the gospel and teachings of Jesus and the apostles in the next season. See, they're actually a passing of a baton to Timothy and the churches that he was entrusted to serve, as well as us today the next generation of leaders, and the future of the church as a whole. So what we see from Timothy's life is that he too fought the good fight and sought to finish the race well, just like Paul had. According to church tradition, which is a fancy word for saying we think we know, but we aren't quite sure. According to church tradition, (laughs) Timothy spent the remainder of his life living in Ephesus, 
battling the false teachers there and raising up Christ followers, eventually being martyred for his faith. And while there absolutely is no biblical verse that you are going to find in the Bible, or if you cannot go to BibleGateway.com and Google this, while there isn't any biblical evidence to support this, traditions since the 5th century AD actually take this as historical. But regardless of the accuracy of how exactly Timothy passed away, we know that Timothy is not living today. But the Bible is very clear that Timothy's leadership success wasn't proven by the numbers or by who he knew or by which church he led. His ministry success was proven by his faithfulness to live a life committed to raising up leaders in faith. And these words are with us today for the same reason, to help us keep going when we are feeling discouraged and to remind us of the standard that we as Christians ought to live by and to help us pass the baton on to the next generation of leaders once we're gone. And so as I was preparing this message this week, I honestly, I just kept on recalling a mentorship relationship that I had as an early adult, as a young adult. As a specific mentor too, and I've had, I've been blessed to have a few mentors in my life, but this specific mentor just kept on coming back to me, and his name was David Corey. And David is currently a missionary in Brussels, but was the lead pastor at the church that I grew up at. And while neither he nor I would really expect you to know who he is, I did feel like it was important to use his name in order to bring honor to him and the impact that he made in my life. Much of the pastor and the person that I am today is because of this decade-long mentorship that I had with him. And I actually had an opportunity to reconnect with him this week and reminisce a little bit about this, about the years that I journeyed with him. So I asked him, in his own words, what does mentorship mean to him? And he responded this way. He said, mentorship is best in the context of relationships and when it can change with seasons of life. For me, it works when it's relational, seasonal, and informal. I think we can sometimes overthink discipleship, mentorship, this whole mentoring relationship. I think we can sometimes overthink it. We can overcomplicate it or we can disqualify ourselves from it because we think that we either have nothing to offer or nothing to gain. But in reality, if you've ever been a part of like a discipleship pair here or if you've ever had a mentor in your life or been a receiver of some mentorship in your life, you know that both sides gain. If you've ever been a mentor, you know you gain just as much as the person receiving. So David's mentorship in my life started with him inviting me to lunch, just simply inviting me to lunch. And it wasn't, there was no agenda to it. It wasn't to teach me something. It wasn't to tell me off. It was because he genuinely was interested in me and what I thought and who I was. He was just interested in my life. And I could probably list dozens of ways how he actually practically helped me. But in my early adulthood, when it came down to it, the most meaningful thing he ever did in my life was to simply invite me into his life. And that's what I want to encourage and challenge you with today whether you're online or here in the building. So, because as we close, my question to you is this, who is your one? Who is your one? See, we all need to have one person who is further along in the spiritual journey than we are, 
one person speaking into our lives in a genuine, authentic, personal way. But we also need to have at least one person that we can lead and guide in a genuine, authentic, personal way who is a little further back from where we are in our spiritual journey. And it, when I say that, I don't necessarily mean in age or in years served, if you will. What I mean is in spiritual maturity. And what does spiritual maturity look like? It's the things that their life is producing that result in godliness. And I truly believe that you can have a young person be more godly than somebody that is 50, 60, 70 years uh, into their faith because sometimes we just get stagnant. And so I encourage you, look for the, the people when you're looking for a mentor, you're looking to receive, look for the person or the, the life that is producing results in godliness. People that flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. Look for people that don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That is quoted from Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 23. Flee, look for people that flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness and look for people that don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. It's not my words, it's Paul's words, it's scripture. If no one decided to bring Timothy into their life, if Paul never decided to take Timothy along for the journey, I believe that the church, the global church, would probably look very different. And if no one decided to embrace who I was when I was growing up, I guarantee I would not be standing here today, and I may not even have had the faith that I have today. And in the same way, as a Christian, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, I now have a responsibility to speak into others' lives. Not just from a stage, but out of my life. And if I'm not doing that, I'm just saying, if I'm not doing that as a pastor, I shouldn't be on the stage. But if I'm not doing that as a Christian, then I have to, I have to reconcile that with my heart and between me and God. So what needs to happen in your life so that you can raise up a young person in the faith? And what needs to happen in your life so you can allow someone else to speak into yours? Let's pray.